You're listening to Reach MD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown. Today, our guest is Dr. Michael Davidson, clinical professor and director of preventative cardiology at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. He's also the executive director of Radiant Research in Chicago and the current president of the National Lipid Association. Today, we're going to talk with Dr. Davidson about a project that he recently chaired to look at the predictive value of lipid biomarkers and inflammatory markers, particularly when compared to traditional risk factors. Mike, thanks very much for agreeing to speak with us today on Lipid Luminations. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here with you. First of all, thank you for allowing me to participate in the summit on biomarkers and inflammatory markers. But I wonder if you can tell our audience what the whole purpose of the summit was and maybe put it in perspective with regard to the most recent AHA-ACC guidelines and their commentary on looking at advanced lipid testing and biomarkers. First of all, we surveyed our membership at the National Lipid Association and one of the most important educational messages that they would like to hear more about is how to use biomarkers in clinical practice. So this is really an intense area of interest for our membership, which I think represents broadly the whole U.S. population of primary care physicians or those involved in management of cardiovascular risk factors. That's one issue. It was a very hot topic for our membership. And secondly, we recognize that the population has changed dramatically over the past 10 years with a marked shift in obesity prevalence and diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And so there's been an increased recognition that in those patient populations that the traditional risk factors, especially LDL cholesterol, LDLC, does not predict risk as well as it has in the past. And keep in mind that, you know, Framingham was started in 1948 when 80% of the U.S. population smoked cigarettes and the mean LDL is about 160 milligrams per deciliter. So things have changed a lot in the last 50-plus years, especially in the last 10 years. And so there's been more and more data supporting that the traditional risk factors, especially LDL, cholesterol, uh, we need to look at additional markers to better detect risk. And one big push, as you're well aware, is the non-HDL cholesterol, initially put forward in the ATP3 guidelines for people with triglycerides over 200 milligrams per deciliter. So we wanted to try to, you know, first of all, get a group of experts together and determine whether something should be done for lipid assessment above and beyond non-HDL cholesterol in patients. And then secondly, for the, you know, for the same reasons, there's increased interest in biomarkers, especially high-sensitivity C-reactor protein with the JUPITER trial and what that means for clinical practice. So this is our goal of the National Lipid Association is to, to really prevent heart disease through better lipid management. We thought this was a very important initiative on our part. The thing that we can do, if we can better identify who needs to be treated and then treat those patients more effectively, we can make a big difference in cardiovascular rates. And this is going to be especially true when all stands go generic, which will happen in the next few years. Cost of care is going to go way down for lipid management. So we want to do a better job of picking out who needs the treatment. And this, we thought, was a good start of getting that type of information out there to our members and then more broadly throughout the whole primary care physician network. I have a couple of questions for you, which I'm sure crossed your mind as you 
proceeded with what we're going to talk about next, which is the summit that you organized. One is that it is true that people are very curious about these novel risk factor tests and inflammatory markers. And at every single meeting, cardiology and internal medicine, we have sessions on these markers. And yet, still people are completely confused about when to use them. You recall an earlier meeting we went to where we tried to answer the question, and whom should everybody have these tests done, and in whom should we never order these tests? And during the course of that conference, we had a hard time coming out with an answer. So I wonder if you can address that and how the summit planned to deal with that issue. And then secondly, could you talk a little bit about the AHA-ACC guideline document that was recently published, which basically said that traditional risk factors plus the standard lipids is enough and that these additional tests don't necessarily add much. What I wanted to do with the panel was, first of all, get clinical people like yourself who are on the front lines of risk assessment for both primary and secondary prevention. And secondly, different from the ACC-FAHA conference panel, we focused not just on asymptomatic patients, but rather four different types of patients that I think are more kind of broadly evaluated in a clinical setting. And the first was low-risk patients. The second was intermediate risk. The third was those with high-risk established coronary disease. And the fourth is a particularly important patient population for those involved in preventive care. And that is somebody with coronary disease who has progression of disease despite what we consider optimal lipid management. And so that's a different category of patients not even addressed by the ACCF AHA consensus conference panel. So I think we look at it a little bit differently. We, we focused on patient types and then how to apply the biomarkers in those different patient types and come to an agreement. Again, our, our recommendations are a little bit different in that we would offer really four categories of recommendations. You know, reasonable. First of all, we'll first be recommended, which would be something that would be based on evidence from clinical trials that was convincing. Secondly, it would be reasonable. In other words, there would be situations that we think the test would provide clinical value. Thirdly, it would be only in selected patients will we find that valuable. We're going to go through and try to identify what those selected patients might be. And then the fourth would be you know, not recommended. So we'll look at it a little bit differently, look at different patient types, not just asymptomatic patients, but those that, that fit the definition of high risk. So it really was a different type of approach to evaluating these biomarkers than was used by the esteemed ACCF AHA panel. Yes, from my read, and of course, you know, both of us are heavily invested in the ACC and F and the AHA. My read is that their approach was looking at a population at risk across a broad population. And the dilemma that those of us in practice have is that we have to focus on an individual's risk. So one can say if we have a 1,000 people like you, here's the likelihood of an event. But I think all physicians are struggling with, we'd like to find out what's your risk as an individual, Mrs. Jones, not what's the risk of a 1,000 people like you. And I was impressed with the fact that I, I think the panelists at the summit tried very hard to talk about specific cases of types of patients where they might feel they need more information on that person as an individual. So... I hope you agree. I don't think the uh, results that are going to come out of this project will contradict 
the data that was more based on the population approach to risk assessment and that these markers may not add a whole lot, but hopefully we're focusing more on individuals. Right. No, I think that's great. You said it perfectly. I mean, we think that really looking at it in a different way, looking at individual patients, when you would use the test to go beyond traditional lipid panel, we also wanted to utilize all the available information that has come out recently and there's more coming in the near term, too, on advanced uh, lipid tests, especially ApoB and LDL particle number, that when there is discordance between those measurements and non-HDL, it appears that the ApoB and LDL particle number predict risk better. So it's their better tests. And how will it outperform in a, in a multivariate model? It's still not clear. You know, it's very hard to outperform these standard risk markers, especially when you consider age in the mix, because you know people die eventually anyway. So it's really hard to shift the air into the curve that dramatically over time, because it's just that you know humans don't live forever. So you're always going to have death eventually. So we just wanted to focus on how that ApoB LDLP can help manage risk better, especially in light of the fact that, as I mentioned from the beginning, that things are changing in the U.S. population quite dramatically. It's not just U.S. but worldwide. India, China, for example, triglycerides going up, HDL is going down, LDL cholesterol is going down, but particle number and ApoB are going up. And so we have to adjust for that changing risk paradigm if we're going to make an impact on this very severe cardiovascular disease prevalence, which is maybe not going down like it was over the past 10 years because of this changing paradigm of risk. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host of Lipid Luminations, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss the clinical use of biomarkers as well as the process of developing consensus on the use of novel risk factors is Dr. Michael Davidson, the current president of the National Lipid Association and clinical professor and director of preventative cardiology at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. He's also the executive director of Radiant Research in Chicago. So, Michael, you've kind of discussed the need for having such a project. And as you might guess, we're all suspicious that when we come out with our thoughts, there are going to be people who are excited about possibly some practical information, and there are going to be those who disagree and feel we either should uh, use these tests more frequently or less frequently. And then the debate will come up as to how did these guys come up with these recommendations. So if I could ask you to maybe walk us through the process, and, and not only what we did at the actual summit, but tell us a little bit about your thoughts as you were trying to develop this project, and then how we went through the process to try and ensure that we had relatively practical recommendations when it was over. These are always a little bit difficult. I've been through some of these before, and as you were, and so sometimes it's difficult to develop a, a consensus. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring to the table those who have the greatest knowledge base, who also happen to be some of the biggest passion advocates for those tests. And so I think it was important to hear what they had to say and present their data to a room of experts. We brought together, as you'll note when we get this, actually published the document, I believe those who had some of the most extensive knowledge in the, in the country in regards to these biomarkers and who are clinical, who use them in practice to so understand how to apply them to patients. So we first heard from the passion advocates, 
We also had the skeptics in the room as well, you know, those who question the value of these tests, an opportunity for everyone to, you know, state their case and then come to some type of an agreement. I think the most helpful to get agreements among this group was specifically talking about examples of where the tests could have most value. And that's, I think, what helped us come to our, what I think is a very useful document that will allow practitioners to better use these tests in the most appropriate patients. So, Mike, then, now that we've heard about the process, can we talk about the deliverables? We all met, we had the conversations, we listened to the experts, the naysayers and supporters, and came to a consensus. And, and I might say it was gratifying that I think everybody was pretty comfortable with the consensus at the end. And what's next? Well, next is we're going to be finalizing the report and coming out with the recommendations. I think we can say that among the low-risk patient population, there was agreement that you know, there's very little utilization of these tests. One group that might be a little bit of uh, a surprise is that there are some patients that low risk, we're still measuring it, and HSCRP might be considered. That was because their Jupiter trial did include a large segment of that study population that were at low risk, and CRP did work, identify those that would benefit from statin therapy. And also, just recently, as been reported, the Jupiter trial showed it was very cost-effective for preventing events in that patient population. That was a pretty, I think, easy group to identify those that might benefit. I think the other group that we had more consensus around was those that had advanced coronary disease who had progression of disease despite optimal therapy. And in those patients, advanced lipid testing, LP, little a, and even HFCRP could be utilized to identify unresolved risk issues that could be addressed with more intensive therapy. The critics may argue that they deserve the, everything thrown at them anyway, but I think having that information and knowing that, uh, for example, their APOB is still elevated can really and sometimes make the additional therapy that you want to work on the fence about now applied to that patient because now you have evidence that their APOB or LDL particle number is still elevated and you want to do what you can to address that residual risk with therapy. So the, the question was, does the biomarker itself predict risk over and above traditional risk factors? And if yes, does it change your therapy? In those type of situations, it would change your therapy. That's why that those tests were something that would be considered in those type of patients. Well, that's great, Mike, and congratulations on a terrific project. I think when the final analysis is there, everyone will find that the document very useful. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Michael Davidson, clinical professor and director of preventative cardiology at the University of Chicago, Pritzker School of Medicine, as well as the executive director of Radiant Research and the current president of the National Lipid Association. Thanks for spending time with us this week on Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown.